Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts program. Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday, December the 10th. 2020, just 15 days until Christmas, strangely enough, just four days away from the Electoral College selection of your next president of the United States, unless, of course, the Supreme Court decides to act decisively on the lawsuit between the state of Texas and 18 other states against four battleground states where widespread voter fraud and voting irregularities have occurred, but everybody seems to simply be turning a blind eye to those facts, to that reality. Yes, the fat lady is indeed in the background warming up. The fat lady sings, it's all over. I am not going to go into a great amount of detail on something I heard from the Glenn Beck program. But if you have a few moments later today, I want you to look up The Great Reset and let me know what you think. The Great Reset proposal will take away everyone's right to own personal property. You can no longer own a house. You'll no longer own things. It is truly the intended outcome of the Barack Hussein, Barry Sotero, Obama and George Soros' grand plan to radically transform America and the world into a giant melting pot of kumbaya socialism, where no one is allowed to own more than anyone else, except, of course, those leaders at the very top who have to maintain order, so they'll get to keep their multiple mansions around the world. They'll get to keep their yachts and their private planes, They'll get to keep their valuables, whereas you and I, who work hard for hours, will have to give up ours so that people who don't work can have an equal share of the pie. It truly is communism and socialism wrapped up in a neat package called the Great Reset. Look it up when you have some time. It will scare the living crap out of you. So I'm coming to you live today from Studio 63, deep in Bayou Country. We have a dense fog advisory in the area, so visibility is near zero. I'm looking out of the studio window here towards the street, and I cannot even see the mailbox some 65 feet away. Very foggy. Be careful out there. But I didn't get on the air today to talk to you about the weather or the fog. I came on this morning to tell you that the double standard is alive and well. Well, it's not so well as we understand the definition of well. And no, not a hole in the ground from which we draw water kind of well. Well as in of good health or well-being or wellness which is a far cry from where we in the United States actually are at this juncture. We, the nation, 
are not well. When one half of the nation is still suffering from Trump derangement syndrome and the other half of the nation is showing loyalty to a duly elected president of the United States and the media refuses to acknowledge either one of those things, we certainly are not well as a nation. How about I just say the double standard is alive and kicking? Yeah, that's it. That's the ticket right there, alive and kicking. For over a year now, the left, the Democrats, the socialists, Marxists, communists, the media have stoked violence and promoted violence and covered up violence committed by the leftist, the anarchist, the riotous, the violent mobs of so-called peaceful protesters that have been foisted against Trump supporters. Now, what did we hear from the media during that time? Crickets chirping, right? And if it wasn't crickets chirping, we heard lie after lie after lie, claiming the violence was simply the people's natural response to what they perceived as an illegitimate president being elected under the name of Donald Trump, who allegedly stole the election from Hillary Clinton and was elected solely due to corrupt election processes rife with foreign interference, widespread voter fraud, massive irregularities, and that the violence was not really violence. It was peaceful protesting. Now, here we are in a 180-degree reversal of course. The same media is now claiming there's no such thing as widespread voter fraud, no irregularities, no interference, no scandal. And now they're saying that Republican supporters of Donald Trump are turning to violence because of their unfounded, baseless, unproven false allegations of fraud in the 2020 presidential election. And the sheeple are lapping it up like a kitten with a bowl of warm milk. A recent MSNBC video online to its 37 viewers was entitled, quote, As Trump assails election, MAGA supporters turn to violence, unquote. There's a paragraph that appears online beneath the video, and it reads, Trump and his allies continued efforts to deny the results of the election and perpetuate misinformation have only stoked violence among MAGA supporters. Some have mobbed an official's home. Others have left officials threatening voicemails. MSNBC's Ari Melber discusses this menacing behavior and messaging with former RNC chairman Michael Steele, a turncoat Republican, and the New York Slimes' Michelle Goldberg, a leftist in her own right. Now in the video, and I'm not going to bore you with it because it's six and a half minutes of drivel, but in the video, they start out showing still shots of the White House and Trump. And at the top of the screen, above the White House and above Trump's head, they have little snippets of what is supposed to look like headlines cut from the New York Times and from the USA Today. 
making it sound like, well, we only had time to put a couple of these up, but this is widespread violence and it's being stoked by the MAGA people. It's not very complimentary of the president. And in true leftist fashion, it is not very complimentary at all towards anyone who supports our president. It attempts to lump in all of the millions of Trump supporters into a basket of deplorables again due to unproven allegations of violent threats that supposedly were made by a few whom the story identifies as Trump supporters. Yes, the video puts up screenshots as if they were actual headlines by leftist media outlets like the USA Today. And of course, the headline was written to trigger the race-baiting, playing the race card type thing. It says, Black Michigan lawmaker posts voicemails of lynching threats in the wake of election hearing. Of course, as you and I both know, and as we all learned in the Jussie Smollett lie, in the Bubba Wallace no noose is good noose lie, any time a black leader or a black person of some amount of fame claims that there is a noose or lynching allegations, it always or almost always turns out to be that the black person claiming such violent threats is the perpetrator of the lie. The video then goes on to post what appears to be a headline from the New York Slimes saying, quote, as Trump rails against loss, his supporters become more threatening. They then quote an elections official in Wisconsin who said, people on Twitter have posted photographs of my house. So Democrats, leftists, liberal anarchists, how does it feel to get doxxed? How does it feel to have done to you what you were doing to Trump supporters and Republicans and cops? Not so good a feeling, is it? This report gets played for the sheeple, but on the same network, you did not hear one single solitary word about an actual elected official calling for Democrats to openly attack Trump supporters. In fact, I scoured MSNBC's entire day's worth of programming and could not find anything on the next person I'm going to quote. When it comes to this next article, this is what you hear on CNN and MSNBC. Sorry, I like my crickets. The next audio clip is from Michigan State House of Representatives Rep. Cynthia Johnson. Ms. Johnson was stripped from her committee role after viral video of her threatening Trump supporters and actually calling for her party loyalists to incite violence against what she calls Trumpers surfaced. She does use the AA 13% hyphenated American dog whistle buzzwords to call her leftists soldiers to order, do it right, and make them, the Trumpers, pay. Take a listen. So this is just a warning to you Trumpers. Be careful. Walk lightly. We ain't playing with you. A 
enough of the shenanigans. Enough is enough. And for those of you who are soldiers, you know how to do it. Do it right. Be in order. Make them pay. I love y'all. Bye-bye. And there you have it. The dog whistle call to order for her soldiers to do what they have to do and do it right. Make them pay. Trumpers, that is. People who support Trump. Michigan Speaker of the House Lee Chatfield has actually stripped Representative Cynthia Johnson of all of her committee duties. Lee Chatfield, the Speaker of the House in Michigan, tweeted threats to Democrats or Republicans are unacceptable and un-American. They're even more unbecoming of an elected official. Representative C.A. Johnson has been stripped of her committees and we're looking into further disciplinary action as the proper authorities conduct their investigation. Hopefully they do an actual investigation and don't simply sweep it under the rug, which is done so many times when a Democrat, especially a 13% AA minority hyphenated American female Democrat, does something wrong. Ironically, about a week ago, Johnson accused a poll watcher of lying about the election improprieties that she witnessed. During a Michigan State Senate Committee on Oversight, Cynthia Johnson accused a witness of lying about her testimony regarding the 2020 election fraud that the witness has attested to in a sworn affidavit under penalty of perjury, penalty of prison time, and fines if that person were lying. Here's the exchange that prompted the chairman of that committee to gavel Miss Johnson multiple times because, like most of the 13% AA minority hyphenated American crowd who ends up in leadership positions, I will not be silenced. They get the attitude that they don't need to worry about parliamentary procedure or rules of order. After all, those is white man's rules, right? Take a listen to this exchange. I think you'll be quite interested. What the concerns are... Point of order. I'm sorry? Do you have a point of order? Yes. What is your point of order? Point of order is to have them under oath. You're out of order. As I've said, this is something that is not done here in this state. Um, It's really only... Uh, It may not be done under the state, but you're allowing people to come in here and lie, and I know they're lying. Representative, uh, you're out of order. I've given, I've indulged you, but you're out of order, and we're going to move on. Um, On behalf of my witnesses, I would like to point out that every single witness we've presented here has sworn an affidavit as to all of these facts. And so... Representative, please, uh, I gave you some room there, but we're going to move on. Uh, we're going to go May, may I say something, please? This is sure. the witness. If that is what you want me to do, I would do it. 
and I will still repeat the exact same thing I watched. And you know what? I also want to say one thing. If it is a lie, it may change because a liar has to have a lot of memory power. If it is truth, you can ask me in the middle of the night, it'll still be the same. All right, I'm going to take this here. Uh... Okay, so there you have it, boys and girls. The representative was out of order. She refused to obey the chairman of the committee who told her, that's it, you're out of order. She then interrupted the chairman several times to which he gaveled her again. Then she basically ran over him and interrupted one more time saying, I know this witness be lying. I know she lying. They all be lying. Well, that's not how it works when you're a representative and you're an elected official and you're in a committee. I would recommend that Miss Johnson read Roget's Rules of Order and learn about parliamentary procedure before she goes on another baseless rant. The other male voice you heard was attorney Rudy Giuliani, who presented several fact witnesses to this committee to, to speak about election fraud and voter irregularity. And then the witness herself said, I'll take an oath. I don't care. I'm not lying. And I'll say the same thing under oath that I'm saying now. And the difference, she basically scolded Miss Johnson, good for her, points in her favor. She said, the difference between a lie and the truth is, if you tell a lie, it takes a lot more memory power to remember your lie. If it's the truth, it's the truth, and it just comes out as the truth. And you could wake me up in the middle of the night and ask me, and I'll tell you the same truth. To which there was some applause. The committee chairman gaveled the entire room, and the process continued. However, it all appears to be a moot point, as just about every legal opportunity, every litigation opportunity, every appeal to this obviously fraudulent election are going unheeded with the ever-popular sound of crickets being played throughout courthouses, state houses, and of course on the media whenever actual incidences of fraud are brought to light. This is the Truth Hurts program. Stick this up your fact checker. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts program. All the truth you can handle. That's not nice, Alfred. But then again, Alfred only says what I program him to say, right? If you are listening to this program in Texas, I want to call to your attention a proposal called House Bill 196. In Texas, State Representative Terry Meza, a Democrat out of Irving, has introduced HB 196. Her bill would essentially repeal the state's castle doctrine and the stand your ground rules that allow homeowners to protect themselves against attack, home invasion, burglary, and other violent acts. This doctrine allows a homeowner, currently, to use deadly force against an armed intruder who breaks into their home. That's what the Castle Doctrine is all about. Someone is armed, they break into your house, they threaten you, your family. You have the right, inside of your own home, to shoot and kill them. To unload as many magazines as you see fit to stop the threat. 
Now listen to what Meza had to say. I'm going to quote this here. I'm not saying that stealing is okay, Meza explained. All I'm saying is that it doesn't warrant the death penalty. Thieves only carry weapons for self-protection and to provide the householder an incentive to cooperate. They just want to get their loot and get away. When the resident tries to resist is when people get hurt. If only one side is armed, fewer people will be killed." Unquote. Now I want to break that down for you. All I'm saying is it doesn't warrant a death penalty. Wrong. Someone comes into my house, points a gun at me, or a knife, or a pitchfork, or an axe, or a shovel, or any other weapon. They are going to receive the death penalty on the spot from me. She then says, Thieves only carry weapons for self-protection. No, thieves carry weapons to carry out violent actions against those they are trying to steal from, rob, rape, or do bodily harm to. She goes on to say, Thieves only carry weapons for self-protection and to provide the householder an incentive to cooperate. That is threat. That is coercion. It's threat with a deadly weapon. A householder should be able to respond in kind, in my opinion. Her next sentence says, They just want to get their loot and get away. First of all, Representative, it's not their loot to take. And getting away is not my responsibility. It's not my problem. It's not my issue for them to get away with my stuff. She says, when the resident tries to resist is when people get hurt. Wrong. When the resident acts appropriately and snuffs out the life of some piece of crap thug thief, that is when people get hurt. She then says, if only one side is armed, fewer people will be killed. She is absolutely correct. So if the thieves want to come into your house unarmed, well, I'm going to hold them at gunpoint until the cops arrive. They won't get killed at that moment. But if they come in threatening, carrying weapons, they will be killed, I promise you. Under the new proposed law, the homeowner's obligation is to flee at the first sign of intrusion. And then if fleeing is not possible, the victim must cooperate with the intruder. It goes on to say, but if violence breaks out, it is the homeowner's responsibility to make sure no one gets hurt. The best way to achieve this is to use the minimum non-lethal force possible because intruders will be able to sue under this new proposal for any injuries they receive at the hands of the homeowner." Unquote. In most instances, Meza says, the thief needs the money more than the homeowner does. Really? Then the thief should go out and get a damn job! Meza reasons, the homeowner's insurance will reimburse his losses. On balance, the transfer of property is likely to lead to a more equitable distribution of wealth. If my bill can help make this transfer a peaceful one, so much the better." Unquote. So you see, folks, Ms. Meza, in Texas of all places, is proposing the Barack Obama-era 
distribution of wealth. Let's spread the wealth around. Let a thief come into your house and take whatever he wants. You can file a claim with your insurance. I guess she doesn't care that your insurance rates will skyrocket if more and more people are simply allowed to break in and take whatever it is the hell they want. Ms. Meza is truly a socialist in the truest, purest sense of the word. Someone needs to vote her ass out. For those of you in Texas, I highly recommend you arm yourselves to the teeth. Teach your spouse, teach your children, teach those elderly parents you have living with you how to properly aim and fire a weapon into the torso and into the skull of anyone who breaks into their home, your home, your castle, and threatens you with violence. You have that right. Urge your state legislature to vote no, absolute no, without question, without doubt, 100% vote no on House Bill 196. And pray to God that this type of legislation doesn't come to you if you live in another state. Because this is the road that they are paving. And that road will lead to the demise of our nation as a whole. I'm reading many of the comments on this particular House Bill issue. One of the comments says, Burglar, aren't you going to call the cops? Homeowner, why? No one else knows you're here. <laughs> that, my friends, is a good one. And this falls in line with the defund the police mentality. I'm sure if that person being robbed runs out of their house fleeing and calls 911, perhaps an hour or two later, a social worker will come in Look for the would-be thief, who's gone by now. They got away with their loot, right? And then they'll be able to counsel the homeowner and say, well, you had privilege. You had all those nice things, and they wanted them or needed them. So you should be okay and content with letting them steal whatever the hell they want. Another commenter posted, one in the head, two in the chest. Case closed. The dead can't talk but unfortunately, they can vote. <laughs> Very nice. I think if the bill passes, people in Texas should line up at her home and just go steal Robert Blind. I'm sure she has some really nice things, right, that she can afford to file a claim with her insurance to get replaced. This is Texas, people. I can't believe in the year 2020. Never mind. It's the year 2020. This is the Truth Hurts Program. And from the Too Little Too Late files, Hunter Biden, Burisma and Corruption, the Impact on U.S. Government Policy and Related Concerns is the title of a U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs and U.S. Senate Committee on Finance Majority Staff Report documents filed in the United States yesterday. Hunter Biden's Illegal, immoral, and unethical dealings are finally starting to break through the curtain of crickets and silence, the cover-up of the mainstream media. But it's too late, because it looks like gropey Joe Biden will be your next resident of the United States, 
with Camel Toe Harris as your vice resident. The Senate report that I just mentioned dropped on Hunter Biden and his ties to China is being framed by the mainstream media as a tax investigation. But it's not just a conflict of interest, but criminal, counterintelligence, as well as extortion concerns that have me worried. An excerpt from the report says Biden and his business partner Archer found willing partners in Chinese nationals connected to the communist regime. Their work in China began in 2009 with the creation of Rosemont Seneca Partners with Heinz, the Secretary of State John Kerry's stepson. Several years later, Biden and Archer formed a company called BHR with Bohai Capital and received their business license approval in China shortly after Biden visited China with gropey Joe Biden, his daddy. Hunter Biden's connection and financial associations appear to have accelerated significantly after he associated himself with Ji Yijianming, who had deep connections with the communist regime and PLA. It didn't seem to have any impact on Hunter Biden, who made millions of dollars in the relationship. Hunter Biden and his family, to include James and Sarah Biden, Uncle Jim, associated with other Chinese nationals such as Gongwen Dong. In one case, the three of them went on a $100,000 global spending spree after Dong and Hunter Biden opened a joint bank account. In addition, Hunter Biden received millions of dollars over a period of years from Dong's companies. According to records acquired by the committees, many of the transactions involve potential criminal financial activity. The records acquired by these two committees shows consistent, significant, and extensive financial connections among and between Hunter Biden, Jim Biden, Sarah Biden, Devin Archer, and Chinese nationals connected to the communist regime and the PLA, as well as other foreign nationals with questionable backgrounds. And it goes on and on and on. And this investigation has been quietly going on since 2018. But in our mainstream media, what have we heard about it? That's right, boys and girls. Nothing. We've heard crickets chirping. Now that this stuff is coming to light, Hunter Biden will probably be investigated and then pardoned by his papa. But no one will say anything about that. And it's too late for all of this stuff to have any effect on the 2020 November 3rd presidential election. And we're being told there's nothing to see here, folks. Move along. Move along. Let me see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. We don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. He can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move along. Move along. Move along. But I think you've got the picture, right? They tell you what to see, what to hear, what to think. And they're telling you there's really nothing here. 
So move along, move along. Now faced with further people defecting away from network news, CBS News has now finally taken their head out of the sand and they reported that the investigation into Hunter Biden's tax affairs began in 2018. The article begins, Federal prosecutors are investigating Hunter Biden's, quote, tax affairs, unquote, according to a statement released by the president-elect's son through the Biden-Harris transition team. Mr. Biden's son said he learned about the probe led by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware on Tuesday. Two sources familiar with the investigation tell CBS that the tax investigation of Hunter Biden began in 2018. They explained that during the election season, the investigation went quiet, otherwise known as going covert, and noted it would have violated the policy of the FBI and the Department of Justice by taking any said overt steps that might affect the election. Oh, how nice. Did you guys offer the same type of things during your ongoing lies and investigations of Donald Trump during the 2016 election? I think not. Hunter Biden said he believes a review will demonstrate that I handled my affairs legally and appropriately. I learned yesterday for the first time the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware advised my legal counsel also yesterday that they are investigating my tax affairs. The 50-year-old Hunter Biden said in a statement, I take this matter very seriously, but I am confident that a professional and objective review of these matters will demonstrate that I handled my affairs legally and appropriately, including with the benefit of professional tax advisors. An unnamed statement from the Biden-Harris transition team accompanied by Hunter Biden's comments said, the president-elect is deeply proud of his son who has fought through difficult challenges, cocaine, including the vicious personal attacks of recent months, you mean the truth, only to emerge stronger, covered up for by daddy. The Justice Department declined to comment. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Over on one of the other socialist media networks, ABC News posted an article that says Americans are increasingly willing to get a COVID-19 vaccine. It says, with the U.S. on the cusp of an authorized COVID-19 vaccine, public health experts warn that even a highly effective vaccine will not help if people aren't willing to take it. Dr. Anthony Fauci said, the challenge is going to be to convince people to get vaccinated. And he said that on a live discussion with the real president of the United States, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, back on November 30th. And while numerous polls throughout the fall showed many Americans were reluctant to take a hypothetical vaccine, now that there are two highly effective vaccines on the immediate horizon, new polls are suggesting that Americans are more and more willing to get vaccinated, indoctrinated, inoculated. Hmm. A Gallup poll published on December 8th shows that Americans' willingness to get a COVID vaccine has ticked up to about 63 in a recent interview with the New York Slimes, Dr. Fauci stated that vaccine uptake would need to be at least 75%, hopefully close to 80 to 85%, in order to achieve herd immunity and stop the virus in its tracks. He says, 
If you have a highly efficacious vaccine and only 50% of the country gets vaccinated, you're not going to have that umbrella of protection of herd immunity. He said that at a Wall Street Journal Council Summit on December the 8th. While the height of Americans' willingness to receive a Wuhan, China novel coronavirus 2019 vaccine was 66% in July, it dropped to a low of 50% in September following an announcement that AstraZeneca said its vaccine trials had to be halted due to some adverse reactions in some of its participants. Experts at Yale University suggest timing vaccine statements around the 2020 elections by presidential political figures contributed to vaccine skepticism. But since September, vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna have demonstrated greater than 90% efficacy in stage three clinical trials. Both companies have filed for emergency use authorization in the US and the Pfizer vaccine has been approved and already given to thousands of people in the UK, several of whom have reported adverse side effects. Based on the Gallup poll's random sampling of just under 3,000 adults, differences in vaccine willingness were seen according to factors including age, political affiliation, and education level. I've got an idea. Why don't all you liberal, leftist, college-educated geniuses go on out there and get vaccinated in mass numbers? Go on. Let me know in about six months how you feel. Let's see if your eyes are going googly. Let's see if your hair starts falling out. Let's see if you start getting strange tremors in the middle of the night or any of those other things that they list on virtually every single medicine advertisement that you see on television. You know, like the prescription drug they advertise for dry eyes and the side effects include swollen lymph glands, arthritis, knee pain, accidental pregnancy, the tendency to commit suicide, overeating, loss of appetite even though you're overeating, and many other side effects. Yeah, I think I'm going to wait a little while before I stick something into my arm that's only been tested on a small group of people in a very short period of time, even though it was developed during the administration of Donald Trump. There's just too many variables, too many questions for my liking at this point in time. According to the Gallup poll, that random sampling, Democrats are more willing than Republicans to get the COVID vaccine, which is odd because it was Democrats before who said, I ain't taking no Trump vaccine. How I know Donald Trump ain't put some poison up in that thing. According to the Gallup poll numbers, 75% of Democrats are more willing to take the vaccine as opposed to 50% of Republicans. Women express less willingness than men to get the vaccine, women 60%, men 66 College graduates is more willing to receive the vaccine than non-college graduates. 68% of folks with a college degree said they're willing to get it versus 61% of regular people. In all categories, the willingness is lowest in adults 45 to 64 years old and even lower in non-white adults. Now, ongoing monitoring of the UK's vaccination program, clinical trials, and political dialogue will determine whether or not this gap will be closed 
and whether or not herd immunity will ever be reached through a widespread vaccination program in the United States. And of course, a lot of it will depend on whether mopey, dopey, sleepy, creepy, touchy-feely, little girl groping Joe Biden mandates vaccine. I do have an idea. I would like the same rights granted to me with regard to a vaccine that was granted in the voting process by mail. You want me to take the vaccine? Send it to me by mail. Sure, I'll stick that thing in my own arm. And I'll just send you back a piece of paper stating that I took it. That should be acceptable, right? I mean, it was acceptable that you just send out ballots to every house. People fill them out without any identification or proof that they are the ones to whom the ballot was addressed. And they just send it back in. Don't have to sign it, seal it. They don't have to jump through any hoops. Yeah, send me the vaccine that way. I'll send back the paper stating that I took it. This is the Truth Hurts program. In life, when all is said and done, usually more is said than is ever done. Much of what is said is drivel. Useless information and collections of utterances which have zero bearing on life as we know it. The purpose of this program is to provide you, our loyal listener, with relevant facts and topical opinions on a wide range of topics. With that said, here is a man with his finger on the pulse of common sense and truth. Our thought leader and purveyor of fact, Steve Z. Democrat Mayor Lori Lightfoot of Chicago lashed out at Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on Wednesday for pushing a stimulus proposal that would leave cities and states without bailout money. She urged her party to dig in. Lightfoot, the 13% AA minority homosexual, really not attractive looking pseudo-female leader of a city that is falling into the ash heap of history, Chicago, just like any other Democrat-run hellhole, is begging for money to bail them out from years and years, if not decades after decades, of Democrat destructive policies. Lightfoot said, I hope what Democrats in Congress will say is over my dead body. She said this during a press briefing to talk about plans to distribute COVID vaccine in the Windy City. She said, every single town and municipality in this country is hurting. Blue, red, purple, independent mayors, Republican mayors, Democratic mayors. No, most Republican-run cities are not falling into disrepair because of the overspending and corrupt dealings of their elected leaders. There's a few, but almost every single Democrat-run major city in this nation, especially those run for decades by Democrats, are just crumbling, falling apart, and losing tax revenue, tax base, as more affluent people decide to leave for better climates, better living situations, lower taxes, less crime, more investment in infrastructure. Lightfoot regularly attacks McConnell and other Republicans who are unwilling to consider financial aid for state and local governments who've seen their revenues nosedive because they stupidly closed down their cities. 
but she really be done got pissed off during the recent roller coaster negotiations that have happened on Capitol Hill that has fueled her frustration. Now, while there is some bipartisan agreement on writing a new round of stimulus checks, Mitch McConnell has pressed negotiators to drop two of the biggest sticking points in the talks. The Democrats' desire for state bailouts and city bailouts and the Republicans' hopes for liability protections for employers who could be facing COVID-related lawsuits. Lori Lightfoot said, I know that there is a lot of posturing that go on in Washington, D.C., but dear God, stop the nonsense. Get something done. We are hurting here in the heartland and all across our country, and we need the federal government to step up and do their job, unquote. Chicago, like many cities across the country, has suffered huge losses due to COVID-19's impact on tax revenue. The Chicago City Council last month approved a $12.8 billion budget for 2021. That includes a $94 million property tax hike. Yes, that's the way you do it. Increase taxes on those able to pay taxes so you can keep giving stuff away to people who refuse to work, who refuse to pay taxes. In addition to that $94 million property tax hike, she's increasing fees and fines across the board to help shore up a $1.2 billion estimated budget deficit. The city, the state of Illinois, and much of the Midwest have seen an uptick in COVID-19 cases and deaths in the recent weeks. Duh, it's happening all around the country. And of course, with an uptick comes new rounds of restrictions and restaurant closings and bars and others who are struggling to stay in business. Some Republicans have been reticent to help Democrat-heavy cities, while close allies of McConnell's had said some states didn't need the aid, arguing for an approach that focused on aid for schools, colleges, child care, and individual relief, which kind of makes sense to me. Lightfoot said, To basically turn your back on state and local governments at a time where we are hemorrhaging and looking at severe service cuts, putting people out on the street and unemployment, cutting back on services that could actually be a stimulus to the economy, that's unbelievably short-sighted. Well, that's your opinion. Why don't you run your city better? Why don't you do something with your prisoners? Make them pick up the garbage that lines the streets. Make them paint the walls that are graffiti laden. Do something, Ms. Lightfoot. Be the leader you claim to be. Be the leader your city needs or step the hell out the way and let someone who knows what the hell they're doing run the operation. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. And in the final segment today, I'm going to kind of peruse through a CNN article that is entitled Explaining the Supreme Court Lawsuit from Texas and Trump Challenging Biden's Win. It was posted on CNN.com by Ariane DeVogue and Dan Berman this morning. It starts out, Although all 50 states have certified their election results and the Supreme Court swiftly rejected an emergency request from Pennsylvania Republicans to block election results in the Commonwealth, the justices are now grappling with a new controversial bid from Texas, supported by President Trump, 
and 17 other states. They're asking the Supreme Court for an emergency order to invalidate the ballots of millions of voters in four battleground states, including Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, even though, according to CNN, there's no evidence of widespread fraud. Because to CNN, all the evidence that has been presented equates to... And nothing to see here. Move along, move along. These are not the droids you're looking for. Critics of the president and his allies say the case reflects an audacious and legally dubious gambit to keep the lawsuits flowing in order to prolong claims that the Biden victory was illegitimate. So, who's suing? Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed the lawsuit on Tuesday on behalf of the state of Texas. The president on Wednesday filed a motion to intervene. Basically, that's a request to join the lawsuit and ask for the same result. Following that, 17 additional states have signed on to back the effort. So what do Republicans want? Well, essentially, they want to swing the election to the rightful winner, Donald Trump. They're asking for the court to block the electors from Georgia, from Wisconsin, from Michigan, and from Pennsylvania, which pushes Biden back under the magic 270 votes needed to win the presidency. Now, first, the court would have to allow Paxton to file the suit. Then the court would have to block certification of the Electoral College votes in those four states and make a determination that the four states had allowed massive amounts of illegal votes. And then have the states revisit their vote counts and resubmit the numbers. Sounds pretty fair to me. The court could also, as Trump's filing suggests, let state legislatures determine who wins each state or throw the entire election to the U.S. House of Representatives where each state delegation would have one vote. And ironically, since Republican delegations outnumber Democrat delegations, Trump would win. The next question would be, is there any precedent for this? The answer is no. In a nutshell, the president is asking the Supreme Court to exercise its rarest form of jurisdiction to effectively overturn the entire presidential election. The Supreme Court has six conservatives. Will that guarantee Trump a win? No. Thus far, the court has shown no desire to intervene in the presidential election, and on Tuesday it rejected a plea from Pennsylvania Republicans to invalidate the state's presidential tallies. It issued one sentence and noted zero dissents. Justices don't have to make their votes public, by the way. Trump also suggested publicly that he hopes his nominees, Amy Coney Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, and Neil Gorsuch, will side with him on any election dispute. Conservative Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito are also ones to watch. No justice is required to recuse himself or herself from this dispute. Barrett, notably, did not recuse herself from that Pennsylvania lawsuit that was thrown out. So when will we hear from the Supreme Court? That's the question of the day. The Supreme Court has to go through standard procedural protocols. They'll place the case on its docket and give the four battleground states until 3 p.m. Eastern Time today, Thursday, to respond. The court could act after the filings arrive, or they could wait until Texas files a brief replying to the arguments made by the battleground states. That's what I would do if I was Texas. The justices acted quickly in rejecting Pennsylvania's lawsuit two days ago, but they could bide their time 
as they have in other election-related matters. They will meet virtually for their regular video conference or phone conference on Friday. That's tomorrow, folks. Unlike a traditional petition, a request to hear a case, it will take five justices to agree to allow Paxton to file this suit. Then what happens? If the court refuses to take up the lawsuit, it's another nail in the coffin for Trump's hopes to reverse the election results. If it acts in the other direction, it will be another dramatic and unprecedented turn in the 2020 election, guaranteeing that the president will continue, rightfully so, to challenge Biden's questionable victory. The whole doctrine surrounding this Supreme Court challenge is based on something called original jurisdiction. Paxton is seeking to file the lawsuit against another state, actually four of them, and in such instances he is allowed to come directly to the Supreme Court. He doesn't have to go through a state court, then a state appeals court, then a federal court, then a federal appeals court, and then the Supreme Court. Because the original purpose of our Supreme Court was to settle disputes between states. Because remember, folks, like it or not, believe it or not, we are the United States of America. Sure, we're one nation under God, but I don't know that we're so indivisible anymore as we used to be. And liberty and justice for all? Eh, not so much. The so-called original jurisdiction cases are almost exclusively meant originally to handle interstate disputes that cannot be resolved elsewhere, such as border disagreements or suits over water rights. Trump, in asking to intervene in this lawsuit, is basically using Texas's legal coattails. Well, that's what lawyers do. Now, while Texas is using this shortcut directly to the Supreme Court, the justices would have to agree that it cannot be solved in other courts. For instance, a federal court or a state court. Well, we know that a dispute between Texas and Pennsylvania can't be handled in a state court because it's two different states. Which state would get the jurisdiction? And it can't be handled in a federal court because of the way our federal court system is divided. There are many judicial districts in the federal system. So which district would get to hear the case? Now, if I were a fancy Texas lawyer, I'd say, we're filing the suit, so it's going to be held in the Texas federal courts. Of course, the people in Pennsylvania would say, hey, we have to defend ourselves. Come do it in our courts. This is why, in my opinion, the Supreme Court is the only proper place for this to occur. A CNN Supreme Court analyst and University of Texas Law School professor named Steve Vladek said, In his opinion, there's nothing unique about Texas' claim here, most of which have already been brought in other suits against the same four states. He noted that if Trump and other states are joining in, it could weaken the suggestion that the Texas case is indeed unique. Justices themselves might be wary of opening the floodgates to all political disputes between states that might end up directly on their docket and keep them from being able to decide other issues. Senator John Cornyn, the senior Texas Republican senator, told CNN that he frankly struggles to understand the legal theory of it. Number one, why would a state, even a great state like Texas, have say-so on how other states administer their elections? 
It's not a question of that. It's a question of the entire nation of the United States getting screwed because people in Pennsylvania decided we're going to just sidestep our actual election laws and change the rules at the last minute without going through the proper legal channels for which that state's election system has been set up. The lawsuit includes several of the same claims that state and federal courts have rejected over the past month regarding alleged voter fraud and the legality of mail-in balloting. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton wrote, Using the COVID-19 pandemic as a justification usurped the legislature's authority and unconstitutionally revised their state's election statutes. He said they've basically done so through executive fiat. He pointed specifically to mail-in ballots, which he said were placed in drop boxes with little or no chain of custody, which weakened signature verification and witness requirements, the strongest security measures protecting the integrity of the vote. The president's motion to intervene states, our country is deeply divided in ways that it arguably has not been seen since the election of 1860, there is a high level of distrust between the opposing sides, compounded by the fact that in the election just held, election officials in key swing states, for apparently partisan advantage, failed to conduct their state elections in compliance with their own state election laws. 17 GOP-led states are siding with the president and the state of Texas. And they include Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, and West Virginia. That's a whole lot of states in a whole lot of the country. The president's campaign has been represented by former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani and Attorney Jenna Ellis. In this current matter before the Supreme Court, the president is being represented by John Eastman. Eastman is a gentleman who claimed Vice President-elect Camel Toe Harris might not be eligible for the role of vice president because her parents were immigrants. The CNN article says Eastman is known for recently pushing a racist conspiracy theory that Trump later amplified. Of course, they've got to play that race card. Wouldn't be CNN without it, right? Trump has also asked GOP Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, the former Solicitor General of the state, to represent him at the Supreme Court in the event it will hear oral arguments. The outcome is yet to be seen, boys and girls, and this may be the Trump last effort to overturn this election. Let's just hope the Supreme Court has the balls to at least listen to the arguments and render a decision fairly and equitably. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Truth Hurts program. As we approach the one-hour mark, go out there and make it a great day. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Copyright 2020, Steve Knight Productions, all rights reserved. This program is protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. We'll see you next time.